0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Looking at, uh, for 2021, I God has just laid on my heart this, this word rebuilding, rebuilding our lives, rebuilding, and We are living in a very difficult time, so I feel like the Lord has a word for us about how to go through anything when we face things that are outside of our control. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish rabbi who was called by God to go into the Roman world, into cities that were predominantly Gentile cities that were opposed to him and opposed to the gospel, And in every city he went into, he started a life-giving church. Now, there were people who came to love Paul. They came to love Jesus through Paul's ministry. But there were people who hated Paul. And there were people who wanted him dead in every town that he went to. His ministry was, in fact, so significant that Caesar himself saw Paul as a threat. Now, that may seem strange to you, but that's actually very exciting to me. To think that your life could be so significant for Christ, so significant for the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of this world, the oppressive kingdom of this world, is afraid of you. And that's the way it was with the Apostle Paul. And today what we're reading, these first two verses of Romans chapter 12, it's the essence of what made his life so significant. And truthfully, what we're about to read is the essence of the Christian life. There's probably no better two verses that sum up what it means to live for Christ than these verses. So I love it when you read God's word out loud with me. So as the church of Jesus, will you read together? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in the very beginning of chapter 12, Paul is saying, in light of all the mercy that God has shown to you, in light of all the grace that you have received in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He says, here's what you are to do. And what he says is, I urge you, I beseech you to yield yourselves to God as living sacrifices. And the the wording here is so interesting because the word sacrifice is actually the Greek word for killing. I urge you to be a living killing. Okay, you want to stop being a Christian now? It would make sense. Okay, But the idea here is that you are willing to kill anything in your life that is not Christ, that is not of Christ, that is not powered by Christ, that is not for Christ, that there is a willingness to say, if it's not Christ, then it's not me. Paul says it in other words. He said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the idea here is that there has to be an exchange going on, an exchange, your life for Christ, Christ's life for yours. Now, I I, want to put this in a context that I think if you think through it, you'll see... Why there's such a pull within each of us to maybe not do this. Okay, so the first thing is that every person in the universe, every person has a sense of I belong to something. Okay, if you're from a traditional culture, if you're from a traditional kind of family or family culture, then you'll realize that you belong to your family. and, and your family makes you realize every day of your life you belong to them. And you even see it when you see these T-shirts. I've seen T-shirts around the city and it says family is everything. Well, that means fam- I belong to my family. And my family has given me a T-shirt that tells me I belong to them. Well, if you belong to your family, then there's some benefits to this. If you belong to your family, you're never lonely. Now, the con of this is you're never lonely. Because your family is going to dictate how you behave, what you do, you know, how much money you make, where you go to school, who you marry. Because if you belong to your family, your purpose is to bring honor to your family. And the opposite of your purpose is if you bring shame to your family. Now, the truth is that in Paul's day in Rome and in the Roman Empire, it was a traditional culture. Even the Palestine, the Holy Land, was a traditional culture. And so people naturally said, you belong to your family. Now, we live in a much more modern, not so traditional time, even though there's traditional people and traditional cultures that many of us come from. But New York is probably the center of the modern idea of what you belong to. And the modern idea is you don't belong to your family. You belong to yourself. You belong to you. And so, you see, that has some benefits in that you get to decide who you love. You get to decide where you go to school. You get to decide what your profession is. Because nobody can tell me what I am to do. I alone I'm the one who knows what's best for me. Now, this is being bombarded at you all the time. You watch TV commercials. They're all about how you belong to you. So therefore, you should never have any dandruff. And you should make sure you have the anti-dandruff shampoo or else you will never be acceptable to others kind of a thing. I mean, there's a constant sense of driving. If you have this car, then you're a status. If you have these clothes, you have a status. They're appealing to the fact you belong to yourself. And so you have to look outside of yourself to find something that gives you worth, value, or status. We live in one of the most lonely times ever. Because we have decided, I don't belong to anybody but me. And so in many ways, we don't get into deep intimacy or deep love. Because I can't trust you because I belong to me. And you belong to you. So I will use you and I'll let you use me. But we won't belong to each other. Our whole educational system is about belonging to ourselves now. See, in, the, in a traditional culture, in a traditional family setting, all education, all values are governed are, are by how do you fit at making the family work? How do you bring prosperity? How do you bring security? How do you bring legacy children into the family? But you see, when we belong to ourselves, now everything is about how do I discover myself? How do I discover my gender? How do I discover my sexuality? Because the only thing that matters is me belonging to me. And so when we belong to ourselves, we begin to create fictions about ourselves. We begin to create realities that aren't real about ourselves because the only thing that matters is what's going on inside of me. I've never met in 62 years a person who wasn't twisted on the inside I've never met a person in harmony now they may look okay on the outside but I've never met anyone on the inside who said I got it all together mm-hmm. I've got I've met people who are yelling that they have it all together but the yelling that they have it all together tells me they don't have it all together mm-hmm. Are you uh, you're like yeah we're tracking <laughs> <laughs> I know this is like a short sociological, anthropological lesson. But you see, Paul, who came from traditional society, did not say you belong to yourself. He didn't say you belong to your family. He said the only way to live the Christian life is to belong to God. And the only way to live the Christian life is to put your whole life on the altar. And another way to look at it is this. The only way to live your life is to take your own hands off your life. Because oftentimes, if it's a living sacrifice, when it gets tough, we avoid it. When it gets tough, we don't want to do it. And so when it doesn't go according to expectations, someone asked me this question. Well, can you sum up in a way what it means to be a living sacrifice? And we're going to look at it in three ways, but I want to give you one very specific thing. Until you give up the results and the outcomes of your life to God, you're not a living sacrifice. As long as you keep trying to control people, events, circumstances, you keep trying to say, this is the resource I have to have. This is when it has to happen. This is how it has to happen. You're not a living sacrifice. You're still saying, I need to say how things should go for me. And until you're on that altar saying, Lord, only you know what the results can be. And only you know what the outcomes can be. Until then, you will still be saying, Lord, you have to run my life the way I imagine it. And the Apostle Paul, who was a living sacrifice, said he can do more Than I could ask, think, or imagine. But until you are a living killing, you are still imagining what God should do for you. You are still demanding what He's going to do for you, which erupts in anxiety, in anger. We've seen violence. We've seen all kinds of things that come when people say, I must make the outcome mine. So there's three things. (laughs) Sometimes I go, why do you guys come on Sunday? The things I say, they're pretty, they're pretty wrenching. They're pretty brutal. And yet, my friends, this is the essence of a real Christian life. The first of all the responses in the New Testament, the whole of the New Testament is based on the response of sacrifice. Before you ever start trying to figure out what to do for God, you have to know what God has done for you. I find people all the time, they're like, Quit telling me about the gospel. Just tell me what to do. And I'm like, until you know the beauty of the gospel, what you do will continue to be disobedient. It'll still be twisted. It'll still be you trying to make yourself acceptable to God or approved of God. I heard this message in my 20s and I didn't listen. And I heard this message in my 20s early missionary days and I hadn't listened because I kept thinking, God, if I'm a great missionary, you have to love me. God, if I'm sharing the, uh, you know, evangelism in Mexico City, you have to you have to believe I'm special. But what I was really saying is you're going to give me more control because I'm doing more for you. You're going to let me say what the outcomes are because I'm doing so much for you. You see, until we understand what's been done for us, everything we do will be twisted. Nothing is built without first receiving what Christ has done for you. Anything you build other than that is just wood, hay, and stubble. And it's meant to be burned up and destroyed. Why waste your time? One of the great... Great figures in revival history was a man by the name of Robert Murray McShane. His heart burned for Jesus. In his 20s, he was so effective for Jesus. Listen to what he said. Jeremiah 17.9, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then he says, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ." He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in His beams. Feel His all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in His almighty arms. You understand what he's saying here? It's so powerful. You see, you only have so much emotional investment. You have only so much passion. And if your passion is, God, I'm going to prove that I'm worth something. Or world, I'm going to prove that I'm sexual or I'm somebody. And you giving your passion there, you're wasting your passion. Because you've been deceived in your heart. You say, but I was a Christian pastor. I was a Christian missionary. It doesn't matter if you were anything at all. It doesn't matter if if it doesn't come out of that you are settled in the love Christ has for you and you're still trying to prove that you're lovable, then it's not for Christ, it's for you. Here's what he says. Before you take one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. See, until he is altogether lovely to you, you will keep seeing how unlovely you are. And you'll keep trying to convince yourself and others that you are lovely, when you're not. If what you believe is not true, then what you feel will not be real. That rhymed, that was so brilliant of me. (laughs) I'm somewhat lovely today, I think. (laughs) I know this is deep, that's why I said it that way. Are you tracking with this, though? You understand, if you came in this morning saying, I am the worst of sinners, it doesn't matter. Because he's the best of saviors. See, some of us want to say, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that one in the chair next to me. And if you're still doing that, guess what? You're lost. It's when you go, I'm as bad as anybody in this room. You can even sing Michael Jackson if you want. You know, I'm bad, I'm bad. But it's Him. It's how good He is. It's how beautiful He is. It's how perfect His salvation is. It's how settled His love is on you. That's what matters. And in some ways, until that's what matters to you, nothing you do is anything more than a splendid vice. Here's the order. God's saving grace comes first. And it's throughout your life. There's never a moment where a Christian is under the law. They're always under grace. There's no other way for you to be in the presence of God except to be under grace. And His grace is what you must immerse yourself in and say, this grace has hold of me. I've been doing the 40 days of prayer, and you know, I do uh, devotional every morning on Facebook Live and we do you know, we record it for a podcast and stuff. And this week was on the holiness of God, and and one of the one of the psalms that we looked at was Psalm 103. And in verses 8 through 10, and then in verse 13, it talks about the grace of God, but he talks about it as his compassion as a father to us. And something was there I had never seen in my study of that psalm. He said he's compassionate towards us and he's merciful to us as a father because, it says, for he knows our frame. And then it says that we are but dust. See, in some ways, you'll never appreciate the grace of God till you understand the frame of yourself. See, if I belong to myself, I belong to dust. But if I belong to God, He takes the dust and He turns it into a child. And He makes us the children of the Most High God. And He makes us sons and daughters. He makes us heirs with Christ. He takes the dust. And he makes us holy. And he makes us righteous. But he says he knows that you're but dust. God's opinion of you. Is there no way for you to get where you want to go unless he does it by his grace? See, a lot of us don't like to think of ourselves as dust. We like to think of ourselves as special. I'll give you your special dust <laughs> here's the other thing that happens I I've, I've been a person of faith since I was a child and I always think okay I've overcome this at some stage it's like I've overcome my lying I've overcome my lust I'm free I'm free and then then the paradigm of life shifts and all this pressure comes and stress comes and And higher levels, higher devils kind of things come. And where I thought I was strong, there's still weakness there. Where I thought I had grown, there's still room to grow there. Guess what? God is always digging in the dust. So if you're at a stage of life where you're starting to say, hey, I'm getting holy. Just remember, he's pulled away one layer so you can see other layers of dust. And it's not because... He hates you. It's because He loves you. It's because He has chosen not just to be your friend and not just to be your king, but He's chosen to be your father. Here's here's what struck me. This. Can you hear me a little bit on this? Here's what struck me this week. If somebody's your friend, they can have grace for you for a while. But eventually, if you're a nasty, naughty friend or whatever, they're going to go, let me move to another state and get away from you. If you're a boss or if, if you're the king or whatever, and your employees or your subjects are always rebelling against you, you may show them grace and mercy for a time. But the, the bond of a king or the bond of a boss either means you fire them or if you're a king, you lop off their heads. But our God, who is friend and king and Lord, has chosen to say, I deal with you with the grace of a father. Because there's a bond between father and child, DNA bond, that even if the child is disobedient and rebellious, the father is still a father to the child, and the child is still a child of the father. Oh, come on, that's pretty beautiful. Beautiful. See, if he were your boss, he would have fired you a long time ago. And if he were just your friend, he would have said, you're no friend to me. But because he said, I'm your father, dust. Now you have my DNA, dust. Now you're my child. And that bond cannot be broken. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because he's going to ask of you. What he asked of his own son. It's this whole thing of you can't sacrifice yourself till you know what's been given to you. You see, you can't today say, Lord, I can come into your presence because I had a good week. I didn't lie as many times as last week. I didn't lose my temper as often on the Palisades. I'm in pretty good shape spiritually, God, so I can pray. You see, that's the gospel wrong way round. You see, when you've had a bad day on the Palisades, you're still a child. When you've struggled to trust that you didn't need to save yourself with a lie, you're still justified because it's not your record, it's Jesus' record. That's why you take ten looks at Jesus before you take one look at yourself. I have people all the time, because if you know me at all, I love to preach theology. I like to talk to you and teach you about the knowledge of God. And some people often will come to me and say, you know, you say all this stuff about theology, tell me what to do. And I'm like, until you know what he's done, you won't know what to do. Until you've received and believed what he's done for you, You'll run off and do what you ought not do. Here is a way of looking at it. These imperatives, these commands of the Christian life, when they come, as they will come in the next few weeks, as we look at Romans 12 together, they come fast and they come furious. And without knowing what he's done for you, they will crush you. One of my teachers said it this way. Either it is what Christ has done for you or you are done for. See, to focus on what I do is to get the gospel wrong way around. Now, so you want something to do, so I'll give it to you. Paul says, give yourself absolutely, completely, without reservation to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it in three ways. He says, you're going to have to give sacrificially. He says, you're going to have to give physically. And you're going to have to give yourself spiritually. And in order If you do those things in order, then you will experience him transformationally. Gosh, I need to write that down somewhere. (laughs) So he says, be a living sacrifice. Okay, So this is the first step in all of the New Testament. There is no new covenant without Jesus' sacrifice. But what is Paul saying here when he says sacrifice? Well, I hate to tell you, but he's saying everything. He's saying everything is now of your life no longer belongs to you. It all belongs to God. Nothing in your life belongs to you anymore. This is the the whole of the New Testament Christianity. This is the essence of it. That you have known so well the love of God that you freely now lovingly give yourself fully to God. One way of looking at it that's so important is he's never asking you to make sacrifices. He's asking you to be the sacrifice. This is is the struggle that I have with so much of Christianity that I hear on the radio or TV or Internet or whatever else. One is there's no mention of sacrifice. It's all about what you're going to get out of this, your prosperity, your protection, all of these things. Let me tell you, all those things are true, but they're not true without sacrifice. But I also, what, what bothers me so deeply is that people see the Christian life as transactional. In other words, you will hear somebody say something like this. Plant a seed of $1,000 and then God will give you $10,000. You see, that's a transaction. That's not grace. That's law. You're saying there's a law that God will be obligated to if you give him your thousand dollars. But what it's saying is, God is asking that you sacrifice things. Paul doesn't say that. He says, sacrifice yourself. See, if I'm giving up a thousand to get ten thousand, it's not a sacrifice. It's a transaction. And if you can guarantee me that if I give $1,000, i will get 10000 back, I'm not taking a chance. I'm not moving in faith. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just receiving good business. Come on, you've got to hear me in this. If the life you have in Christ is transactional, it's not sacrificial if you only give God $1,000 because He's going to give you $10,000, you have not given Him anything. You've not sacrificed anything. You're just, you're just believing He's going to do it 10 times more. Jesus, when He talked about faith, He looked at that, the widow who had, who had nothing really. And yet she gave all that she had. What Was she, was it because of how much she gave? No. It was because she gave herself. <laughs> she gave all herself. She didn't hold back anything. <laughs> I miss offering, truthfully. I love times of offering. Because I think it's a time to worship God. And, and so often... Uh, what I do my, myself, my personal practice, is I give online. But when we're doing the offering, a lot of times I'm sitting right up here. And the closer to the glory you are, the more you, you get. You know? <laughs> so I'm sitting right up here. And I hear the Spirit say, give everything in your pocket. And, and it's a joy, because I know it's the Spirit, because Satan's not going to tell me, give the church money. he's going to say, don't give the church money or steal it out of the plate or something. But he's not going to, he's not going to say, give everything in your pocket. So I hear the spirit and he says, give everything in your pocket. And, and with joy, I go up and I give everything that's in my pocket. Now I've learned to put less in my pocket. <laughs> it's a lot easier to give 20 than 100, but uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm being really open with you about this. I'm like, He usually asks me for everything in my pocket. I have to think about how much is in my pocket. (laughs) Because you know what? He doesn't care about the money. He gave me the money. I don't live by, if I give him 20, he'll give me 200. I live by, my God shall supply supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. None of that depended on me. You see that's grace not law. That's why I can sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing so that I will get. I'm sacrificing because I've already been given. This this is important stuff or you I can feel like there's a weight of the Holy Spirit right now. You see if we give ourselves as living sacrifice we're not contributing even one bit to our forgiveness. Our forgiveness has been accomplished by the only transaction that God counts. And that's Jesus, who is the only perfect sacrifice. You see, when Jesus went down into death, the Holy Spirit raised him to newness of life. And that was the Father saying, paid in full. And on every page of the page of your life, if you have received The Lord Jesus Christ as your sacrifice on every page, it says paid in full. And until you get that, then when you're trying to sacrifice to get the atonement that is already yours. If it's been paid in full by the precious blood of Christ, and now over those pages is the righteousness of Christ, Then what has settled upon you in the only transaction that matters is that God the Father treats you with as much love as he has for Jesus. He treats you as if you're as righteous as Christ. And then he says to you, do you see what I've given to you? Now here's what I ask of you. Isaac Watts is a great hymn writer. He's one of my favorite hymn writers. He said it in one of his hymns. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I could do. He's saying I take my hands off my life. See, until you realize he gave himself for my freedom, Now, with my freedom, I give myself to him. He will not force you to be a sacrifice. It has to be a living sacrifice. You're not atoning. You're responding to the sacrifice that he makes. I say it again to you. He doesn't want your things. He wants you. Let, let, me, let me go a little... You guys are really quiet. You're thinking through this with me? Yes. It's pretty deep, I know, but, but think through this with me, okay? In that same psalm, Psalm 103, it talks about the Lord is slow to anger. that He's compassionate. It says He will not hold His anger against you forever. And a lot of people misunderstand that because they start thinking about the way we as parents often show anger to our children. One way to look at the anger most parents show to their children is payback anger. You embarrass me, I'll embarrass you. You inconvenience me, I'm going to make it to where you never do that again. So I yell and I scream and I do all these things and maybe I beat you and all of that. And so most parents... Have given to their children when they were supposed to be disciplining and training their children, they've given to them payback anger. All of us have done it. If you feel, if you're avoiding it, the reality of it. I remember one time my son, when I was in seminary, and he was about four years, three or four years old, and we took him to see this famous speaker that I really admired, and I got to go up and shake the guy's hand, and my son was in my arm. And while I'm shaking the guy's hand, my son sticks his finger up his nose, pulls out the biggest booger you ever saw, eats it right in front of everybody. I'm turning many shades of red and and all kind of things in front of this person that I respect so much and all, all like that. And all I can think of is wait till we get home or more like wait till we get to the car. But have you, ever, have you ever noticed, I mean, I, just let me say this really clearly, payback anger never works. Because it doesn't change the children's behavior, it changes their attitude toward the one who paid them back. And what the Scripture is saying is that there are some of you who because your parents did it that way or you do it that way as a parent, you think when bad things happen in your life, it's payback. Man, God is getting me. Oh, I really screwed up. I don't read my Bible enough or I committed adultery or I did this or I did that. So God's going to get me. You understand what what Paul is saying here is all payback anger has already been satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing going on in your life, even the bad things, the hard things that God is paying you back. As a matter of fact, even the most difficult things in your life, your father is working together for good because you love him and he loves you. And he's called you to a destiny you can't get to unless you yield and surrender to the altar of living sacrifice. This response then is total. He says, you got to present your bodies you got to say, Lord, no longer am I in charge of what I do with myself. I don't belong to myself any longer. I no longer belong to anyone else. I don't belong to my family. I belong to the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to live my life in a way that's acceptable to Him. One theological student said it this way. It's not the complex, difficult passages of Scripture that are difficult it's clear passages like this that are so difficult to carry out. So here's the thing that I'm asking of you. You put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. And you give your outcomes, your resources, you give all that you are to Christ. Now, if you go away from here saying, hey, Mike said we don't have to give $1,000 anymore. You miss the point. I'm saying that you give whatever the Lord tells you to give. Not because he's going to give you 10 times back, but because he's already given you the most precious gift of his precious son. And he's made you who are nothing but dust. He's made you a son. He's made you a daughter. He's made you a joint heir with Jesus. When you give up and take your hands off your body, off yourself, it feels like death, but it leads to life. Why would I be willing to do that? Because I know how infinitely wise and how infinitely loving he is. I, I don't know about any of the rest of you. I have trouble trusting authority. No. <laughs> I grew up in a very dysfunctional home and, 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 and I have trouble trusting anybody else having control over me. And so this has not been one of the easiest of things for me over the course of my life, because see, in my head, I can think up outcomes that I want to see happen. In my head, I can think of how God should lead your lives. And in my head, I can think of how things ought to turn out in terms of my vision or my dreams or whatever it is. What Paul is saying is God has better dreams for you than you have for yourself. He has better visions for you than you have for yourself. He's infinitely wise and he's infinitely loving. And you need to stop and put the dreams of your life and everything about your life on that altar and say, Lord, I take my hands off of it. I take my hands off my time, my resources. I think about this time of year, everybody wants to lose some weight, right? Particularly after COVID. And so we're paying for apps, we're paying for programs. We're going to different people and we're all, we're saying, please get this weight off of my body. And yet Paul is saying, present your body to God before you do Weight Watchers. Present your God, body to God before you let noom in. Why? Because if, you're, if you've taken your hands off of your eating and your drinking and you're only eating and drinking to the glory of God, you're probably not going to eat a whole gallon of ice cream. I don't think you can do that. I, I think you can do it effectively. <laughs> you know, you can do it. But I don't think at the end you're going to go, that glorified you, Lord. I think you're going to go, man, that was more like an animal than a human. See, at some point, you've got to say, you know better what to do with my body than I do. You are more loving. Do you know God is not up there going, it's 2021. You guys need to stop being so fat. He says, I love you. I know you. I'm a father to you. Will you not let even the physical aspect, the totality of yourself, will you not let it come under my lordship and my love? Here's the last thing. I know I'm running out of time. But Paul says the response has to be spiritual. And what Paul does is he says there's a spiritual logic to this living sacrifice. Basically saying, if Christ has given everything for you, you give yourself back to him without reservation. One of the heroes of my faith is Hudson Taylor. He changed the very direction and trajectory of missions. He said it this way, an easygoing, non-self-denying life will never be one of power. Devotion to God is still a voluntary thing, hence the differences of attainment among Christians. You may not like me saying this, but in your spiritual strength and in your spiritual power, you are right where you want to be. Because God has all the power to take you where you've never been. But you have to decide that you're willing to be a living killing. To kill everything that's not Christ. To let emerge everything that is Christ from your spiritual life to your physical life to your emotional life. But primarily it's this, you begin to trust his infinite wisdom and love that the outcomes he has for you are better than the ones you could have for yourself. One of the ways to look at it is if Christ died for me, is it too much for him to ask anything of me? All of him for all of me, all of me for all of him. One more hero of mine. Jim Elliott, when he was a college student, wrote this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Will you stand with me?
1: Friends, the issue of your approval was settled at the cross. When Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you, you were approved and were in right standing with God. You are safe and secure with him. And so this issue of trying to make transactions with God and trying to barter with him, if I give you this, will you give me that? It was settled at the cross. And I think this is something innate in all of us, this need to know that we're safe and we're secure and that we have right standing. I don't want to embarrass one of my kids, but one of my kids has been having a recurring nightmare. And it's this, he keeps waking up feeling like he got in so much trouble that he was sent away. And I think many of us feel this way. We feel like we're one wrong move from being in right standing with God. The issue of your approval and your safety and your security was settled at the cross. And so when we know that and we live from that place of knowing that we have been seated in heavenly places with him, we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And so this morning I'm going to ask if you're willing, because this is a willing thing, not a forceful thing, if you would just make a prophetic stance with me. And one of the- is that I like to do that as I actually visualize myself clothing myself in what the Lord is saying. And so if you feel comfortable, even at home, if you're watching, if, if you would just repeat after me and as we say it, just clothe yourself. I am accepted. I am secure. I am approved. The Father has good things for me. I can trust Him. I can offer myself as a living sacrifice. And so this morning, even as places in your life have maybe come to mind that you haven't been able to turn completely over to him, would you even begin to speak to those places and say, I am approved, I am redeemed, I am secure. I can trust all that he has for me. So, Father, this morning we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We give you all of us because you gave all of you. We thank you for this free gift that we get to receive, and now we offer ourselves to you. We declare and believe that we can trust you. We declare and believe that the dreams you have for us are bigger than the dreams that we could ever have for ourselves. We declare and believe that the plans you have for us, for our families, for our nation, are bigger than the plans that we could ever have for ourselves, for our families, or for our nation. And so we offer ourselves to you, and we give you the glory and the honor.